read and uh, referred to a lot already this morning. Uh, but we get to just dive in and unpack it together as a faith family. So if you're a guest with us, again, we're honored that you're here. Uh, we've been tracking through a series uh, through the book of Colossians, verse by verse. Um, and so we'll pick back up on that next week. And we're going to press the pause button uh, on it this morning uh, to kind of focus in on this passage of Scripture. Because uh, the verses we're going to read today is foundational uh, for so much of what we do here uh, at Tri-Cities. And so, uh, it being Mother's Day, um, we want to honor moms by looking into the Word of why are moms even a thing? Like, why did God make the home and make the family? What's the, the point of it, uh, really? Why is all of this um, um, even in Scripture? And why, what, does Scripture have anything to say about, Mom, what you're doing on, at 5.30 a.m. on a Wednesday morning when your kid wakes up with a tummy ache. I mean, like, does that have anything to do with the kingdom of God? And you even see a, a video like that of a family in our church that says, and I see my kids as arrows to be shot out into the mission field. I love that line that John said of, hold on to your kids, but hold on to them loosely. Because um, the purpose of what God has done um, in giving children to us um, is much more than just about us. And so I hope we see that. Um, a little bit this morning, but I want to kind of pull back a little bit and get out of the kind of the parenting world, and uh, so today, if you're here and go, man, I'm not a parent, this doesn't apply to me, hopefully as we, as we walk through this, we'll see that it does, in fact, apply to you, uh, because here's something that we say, you hear me on repeat, say this at this church, and you'll keep hearing it on repeat, because it's, it's so foundational, this is the bullseye, with a statement I'm about to say, this is the bullseye of everything we do as a local church. Everything flows from this. Everything's built on this. This is the core conviction that gets me up in the morning. I pray uh, informs the way we see our lives. Here's the mission of our church. And I'd argue it's not just (laughs) Tri-Cities. It's the church, global, throughout history. Here it is. Our mission is to glorify God. It's about Him. Him His praise. Us enjoying Him. Not about us. To glorify God. How do we glorify God? By making disciples who make disciples among all nations. That's what we do. And that word disciple just means learner. It means transformative learner. It means a follower. It's saying that we are so enamored by the beauty of Jesus, that He is God in the flesh, has made a way for us, and that there's a message of reconciliation that's available for all people. And our lives is to say, we're reorienting everything to be centered around Jesus. We're convinced that life is best lived if it's lived for by, through, to Jesus. It's all about the praise of Jesus. And we do that by following Him, by being transformed by every part of who we are, and then to leverage our lives out of that joy that we have in Jesus, to leverage our lives to see other people find their joy in Jesus. It's what we do. And that is so much more, listen, than just our homes. It's even more than just the city um, it is with the nations in view that Jesus has given the church the marching orders and it is to go and make these followers, these followers, these worshipers of Christ among every people group of this world. And that is what we're laser sharp focused on. Everything we say no to is to remove distractions from that. Everything we say yes to, we pray, is building in this into the culture and the DNA of our lifestyles here. So, he's given that mission to the church So that does involve you as an individual, but it also involves us as a family. That the Great Commission, this commission we're talking about, is not just Jake, go make disciples. It's Jake is to make disciples in the context of the church. 
the family. That he's not just about you and Jesus. He's building an us. And so we say around here a lot, um, and you'll see where this stuff begins to tie as we begin to go, uh, that the church is more than a gathering on a Sunday. It's certainly not a building. The church is a family. So Larry was saying that uh, earlier. Uh, I was trying to say that earlier. Well, you'll hear it on repeat. The church is a family. And so I think this is on our slide. It'll be up on the screen. And as I was looking over this this morning, this is a terribly written sentence. So I'm sorry, all you grammar nerds out there. I read it this morning. I was like, did I type that? That's terrible. So it, just go with me, okay? Um, the, the principles are still good. It's just could be laid out a little better. <laughs> the church is the people of God. We don't have that on slide, do we? Okay, good. So you don't have to see it. Oh, dang it. There it is. Okay. All right. The church is the people, the family of God. So that's who we are. So if you're in Christ, you belong to a family. Gee, well, I've never really experienced that as a church, but man, that is what Christ has died, is to make it us, and we're united. We're brothers and sisters together because God is our Father, and we are His kids. We are a family. But here's what God has done throughout history. And what we find ourselves a part in today is the church is the people of God who enjoys the presence of God. The people of God always have access into the presence of God. You see the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle and images of that. But we know now that because the Spirit of God dwells in us, that we are temples, that the presence of God is in us if you're in Christ. That you have God with us. And we are a people who enjoys God. That's the aim of our lives, is to be with Him. To be with Him. So we are people who enjoys the presence of God, who are empowered by the, the power of God. I think it says presence. That really is a terrible sentence. My goodness. Um, the power of God. So that Spirit is now the power to be and do what God's called us to be and do. How do we do that? We are now equipped with the Word of God. So our marching orders and what shapes us and what the authority of this faith family and this morning is not to hear me and some opinions from me is we believe with all of our heart that God wrote a book and he's told us what life is like and what, who he is and we submit ourselves to the word. So we're, we go enjoying his presence, empowered by his power, but equipped with his word to be sent to accomplish his purposes. That's the family. That's what the church is. We have this mandate, this mission. That that's the point of your life. It's the point of my life. It's what we want to do together. But here's a reality. That's true of the church. But let's kind of, that's 30,000 feet, but let's get a little bit down on the ground. Before God ever made a covenant with Abraham and said, I'm going to make a people, the people that we now would say is the church, before that ever happened, before he ever instituted the church, you know what he did? He instituted the family. Moms, dads, raising kids, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth with image bearers, always had the nations on his heart, but the plan began as a family. So the church is a family, but listen, I want us to begin to see family a little differently. What if family is church? All the things we say be true for a, a church is true in our homes. It's true. And so repeatedly throughout Scripture, I wish we had time, and maybe um, in the fall we'll do it again and, and kind of go at it from a different angle, but I wish we had time to go through the Scripture and just look at all the charges that God's given His people and moms and dads to carry out this whole disciple-making thing and the context that that happens is not in programs and not in buildings like this. It's in homes. With moms and dads charged to Tell their kids about what's true about God. To teach their kids to love God. It's all throughout 
the Scriptures. And so let's pull back out and understand how this fits for all of us in this room. Is that if we're trying to see God glorified and enjoyed by every people group of this world, and we're going to make disciples, that definitely includes the family. It's always more than that, but it's never less than that. So think about this. We're all family units here. So whether even you're singles and you have roommates, I mean, this all applies. We have our family that we are in. Um, And then this church is made up of a bunch of families, which is what makes a church. And then as that church begins to live life, reaching other family units in in a city, is when you begin to have mission. And then that hopefully will sprinkle over and advance out to all nations. And so if we want to reach the nations, God says to begin in the family. It's not where you stop, but it's definitely where you begin. And there's nothing more strategic than that. Even if you look at qualifications for somebody like me to be a pastor of a church, it says if you can't raise your family and give oversight to your home, how you have no business giving oversight to the church. There's a clear prioritization that what happens in the home is so foundational before it ever influences out. So if you ever want to have influence for the glory of God, partner with parents for the discipleship of your kids. There's, it would be argued that there's very little that's more strategic than that. Psalm 145 verse 4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. See that the generations are saying, I'm coming along and I've experienced the goodness of God, so I'm going to tell the new generation that it's true. It's true. I've been walking with Him for years and it's true. And there is a discipleship and a handing off of what uh, is true. So, we really do mean that. So that's kind of the foundation. That our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to make disciples, and that begins in the family. So that's why we want to take a Sunday to talk about why. And what in the world does that mean? Um, and let me just explain to you real quick, and so this is, especially if you're here and you want to know about Tri-Cities, or if you're, especially if you're a member here, uh, to remind you about the philosophy of ministry we have. Some churches would say, you know what, the next gen, we're not going to say they don't matter, but we're not going to do much to focus on the next generation, um, and they'll just kind of figure it out. But then there's some churches that are just, I call them cruise ships for Jesus, you know. They have programs everywhere, and the idea is, parents, we are going to make it so easy for you. If you will just drop your kids off to all of our things, we'll disciple your kids. And again, it's well-meaning, well-intentioned, and I'm not against programs. We have them. Okay, we have a lot of them. Um, But listen, we reject both of those worldviews, lines of thought, the way to see the church. And we believe here in a family equipping model. Here's what this means. Is that we believe that God's given us as the church to equip the parents to disciple their kids. So we want to partner together with parents. We don't want to rob you as moms and dads, for those of you that are, we say you are the primary disciple maker of your kids. Not us, you. But he's given the church to say we're coming alongside to equip and to go through this journey with you. It's an us thing. It's a together thing. It's the family of God. It's the household of faith. And we're partnering with you. We want to resource you. We want to equip you. We want to disciple you as the parent so that you are now pouring your life into your kids. And so one of the ways we do that is through equipping a parent discipleship plan. We'll talk about that toward the end. And you hear about that a lot. You can find it on our website. Uh, is to come alongside to resource you as parents. But then you hear the kids on the other side of this hall because right now there are volunteers who aren't in here listening to the Word because they're teaching our kids about Jesus. How cool is that? I mean, our kids right now are back there learning about the Bible. And so many of you are involved in that. So many of you disciple uh, middle school, high school students 
just relationally. Um, some of you singles, leveraging your life for that. It's important. It matters. It's an us thing. It's all of us. And listen, if you, let's assume you show up every Sunday. You, we get your kids for, what, 52 hours, whatever, a year? I looked it up this morning. There's 8,760 hours in a year. So how foolish would it be to say, we'll just drop, you, drop them off, preacher, church, you guys do what you need to do with the kids. Um, hope they'll pop out loving Jesus. And we say, man, that is just so foolish. You had the maximum amount of time with your kids. And so are we leveraging it for what matters? So we want our programs to complement the parents and partner with them so that the primary discipleship is happening in the home. That is so foundational um, for us. And here's a, a statement that is true for every single one of us, but especially parents in this room. The question is not, will we disciple the next generation? Because the reality is, is we are making disciples. <laughs> right now, in your life, like you are influencing people in your life, whether you realize it or not. The question is not, will we disciple the next generation? The question is, what are we discipling them towards? Your life does have influence. What are you leveraging your influence for? If you said, I'm taking my life and it's being replicated, what is happening as you are replicating your life into these kids? Like, this is the reality is that we are discipling. It's just, are we discipling toward the things that matter? And that's definitely true for parents, but it's true for all of us uh, in the church. And so, listen, we're going to go through this, look at God's Word for Deuteronomy 6, uh, about four, I think, principles of what family discipleship, investing in the next generation could look like. Yes, for parents, but for a local church. So, two caveats. Caveat one. Um, and I've already said it over and over again, but I want to make sure we're clear. If you're here and you're not a parent, this all applies to you for all the reasons we just said. So lean in. And we're going to look at that, even our first point, reiterates that again. Um, but it's for all of us. But second, um, another caveat is, I approach this so humbly. I mean, my kid's five months old, okay? Like, <laughs> I've not done much in this old parenting realm. Uh, so I'm not coming in like the, the professor telling you how to parent your kids. Like, I know nothing about parenting children. Nothing, okay? Um, learning as we go. Learning as we go. But listen, here's the, the authority for me and what it rests on me is not in experience. It's in the Word of God. It's the truths of God's Word. And so, yeah, we have wise counsel. We do this together. I need you to speak into my life, to teach me what it means to parent and disciple kids. Um, but I link myself to this Word and say, what does God's Word say? And, but I approach it really humbly. Um, so I'm not up here saying, here's what we need to do because uh, I'm doing it. I mean, I haven't had the chance to do most of this stuff yet. But we want to gaze together and say, convictionally, Here's where we want to lead and shepherd this church and to be this together. So, four realities of what family discipleship means from Deuteronomy 6. And here's the context of Deuteronomy. God's people have been delivered from slavery. They didn't believe the promises of God. What happened? They wandered around in the desert for 40 years, right? Because they refused to trust the Word of God, the promises of God. And so now Moses is taking this new generation. The rest of the people that originally just didn't believe have died off. And so now it's their kids. And the kids have kids. There's another generation stepping up. And I want you to see it. They're going to this promised land, the promise of God. And now there's new generation. They've watched their parents suffer because of their disbelief. And now Moses, is the, the book of Deuteronomy is a series of speeches and sermons where Moses is looking at this new generation and saying, hey, we're on the brink of the promised land. We're about to go in to all that God has for us. 
but there's going to be giants over there. There's going to be a lot of war to happen. There's going to be a lot of cost. So the, the question is, what legacy will you leave? And so, man, this is really timely for us to say to a new generation that we may look back at our parents and our parents' parents and say, man, there's a lot that our parents got wrong. And a lot of wounds from that, a lot of hurts from that. I know a lot of what I don't want to do. We look at all of those things. Um, this is the context of he's looking at a new generation and saying, what legacy will you leave? That's true for all of us in this room. What legacy will you leave? Um, and he's challenging parents, as we'll see here. So four realities, let's jump in. The first one. Investing in the next generation is the task of the people of God, not just parents of children. So again, I know we've been saying that a lot, but here's where we get it. Deuteronomy 6.4, the context is, Hear, O Israel. So you can almost say, Hear, O church. Israel was the people of God. It's the gathered ones who had faith in the promises of God. And he's looking to, to the context of all of them, whether they had kids or whether they didn't. <laughs> he's like, Hear, O Israel. So everything he's going to say is not just to moms and dads. It's to everyone. So, uh, just some questions. I know we've been hitting it a lot, but I just want to ask these questions and move on. Is your life marked by an investment backward into those who are coming after you? Can you give me names of people that you are investing your life into to say, I want this person, these, this generation to know Jesus even more than I do. I want them to love him more than I do. Um, is your life being leveraged for someone else's joy? true how are you doing are you carving out time in your life so grandparents cousins aunts uncles like all of this applies but i want to pull out of that because we've been talking about that a lot and i want to read this lengthy quote the words will be on the screen it's from a guy i can never say his last name gk chesterton is that right sure chesterton that's so hard to say don't laugh at me i can't help it um it's a really lengthy quote and it's beautiful okay i want to read this to you and i want you to think about as we are all tasked to disciple kids, okay, think about what God is doing in us as we're working for their joys. I want to read this quote. It's beautiful. G.K. says, Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. Any mom and dad be like, that's true. They repeat everything. I love this. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> Love it. For grown-up people, notice what he says. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately. But God has never got tired of making them. Isn't that awesome? It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old. And our father is younger than we. So here's the point. What if? Because kids are created in the image of God. Tells us something about God himself. That God is a God of abounding vitality and a God of creativity. And maybe it's just our old, fickle, sinful selves that get cynical over the years. Sometimes real, most time real, but I think we miss some of it. And maybe it's just that when we look at these kids, it shows us something about the character and nature of God. Worship is happening. 
And so I love the way God is so gracious in this. That when he says, hey, pour your life out for the next generation. Make disciples. He has it rigged. As we're fighting for their joy, you know what happens? Is we get joy. As we're trying to see them conform to the image of Jesus, it's he's conforming us more and more to the image of Jesus. That's parenting. That's discipling. It's the good gift that he has given us. Even, listen, even the frustrating moments when you're wanting to just almost just die over from exhaustion and want to give up on this whole parenting thing or give up on the discipling thing and the investment thing, all of that, yes, it's for them, but what if it's for us too? We're becoming more like Christ as we give our life away. And I think it also would deduce to say, if you're not doing that, you don't really see a full picture of who God is. You're missing aspects of God if you're not living your life open-handed, not selfishly, but selflessly to say, my life's not my own. I'm living for somebody else. That's what, how, the beauty that God has wired this thing. So this charge is for the people of God, not just parents of children. So the second. Investing in the next generation is ultimately about the glory of God, not the happiness of children. So, mamas, don't throw anything at me yet, okay? And, I mean, I promise it's in the Bible. So, Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. So, we can unpack this. This means so much. But, again, we're trying to look at it from the lens of parenting and family discipleship and investing in the next generation. But you know what he's saying? When we talk about discipleship, It's ultimately about Him. The glory of God is all that He is on display and enjoyed. So He says part of who He is. The Lord our God, Elohim, the one who spoke all things into existence, the one who is Lord over us, He's personal. That Lord is literally Yahweh. He can be known by us. He can be intimately acquainted with us because He's made Himself known. Isn't that good? We can know God. He says the Lord is one. And he's writing and speaking into a culture, listen, that is so pluralistic, which means they're worshiping all these other gods, and there's all these other idols. And so we may not be bowing down to other gods in in America, here in the South, but our hearts are all idol factories. We're all looking for other things and giving praise to things that belongs to God. And we look for significance and approval and all those other stuff. And he's writing in the midst of that kind of context and says, listen, I'm going to tell you what you're about to do for these kids and for this next generation, but it's not about you, and it's ultimately not even about them. The glory of God is at stake. Like how we live our lives, if we're going to choose to live selflessly or not, or to invest or not, it's not just about them not growing up to love Jesus. It's not even just about us getting joy in Jesus, becoming like Jesus. It says something about the worship of God and what we think about God if we don't live this way. It's all about His praise. It's about Him. So see, listen, I could say, hey, we need more volunteers in our next-gen ministries. And that, that statement will always be true. <laughs> we always need more volunteers for our next-gen ministries. So shameless plug, help us. I mean, I wouldn't plan on doing that, but here we go. Go with the ghost, right? Um, but listen, you know what's going to motivate that kind of selfless sacrifice? Because it is. You hear them crying back there? I mean, it is. Uh, I, why would you do that? So many people I see here say, I'm not going to have kids because I'm going to live my life. Like, why would you have kids and do that? I hope, there's a lot of reasons for it, but the main one is that we've seen God as, as everything. He's beautiful. We want these kids to know Jesus. Like, that's the only thing that's fundamentally going to motivate us to not serve in a program, but to invest our lives in other people. I want us to be a church that way. I really do. 
Um, so what's the aim of our parenting? So it's the glory of God. But here's, and, and we can even say discipling in this too. So three different ways that we could get this, or two different ways we get it wrong. First, the me-centered family. The me-centered family. Maybe ego-focused. It's the family that says, I'm living vicariously through my children's success and failures. You ever seen a dad at the, on the ball field just losing his mind? Maybe, just maybe, he's living vicariously through his son in an unhealthy way. My identity's rooted in how he succeeds. If he fails, I feel like I've failed. Or what if about approval-focused? Living for the approval of other parents or how kids cause others to perceive you. It's all about how other people from the outside are looking in and see my perfect little family, my little Instagrammed family, and I find my identity and my worth in my kids. That's the me-centered family. It's not with the Lord as one, God-centered. It's all on us and as parents. It's twisted and it's inward. So ask yourself, do I find my identity in my kids? My self-worth in my kids. My security in my kids. Or what about not just the me-centered family? What if it's not focused on yourself? What if it's focused on the kid? So the child-centered family is living for the kid's happiness. So it's saying, if my kid ain't having fun at this program or at the church, then we're out. It's all about their happiness. If they're not happy, then we're not going to be involved. There's no discipline. There's no sacrifice. It's all about their happiness and their fulfillment. Uh, So a question. Am I working... For my child's happiness, or am I working for their joy? Those are two different things. Maybe not the kid's happiness. Maybe you're working for the kid's success. When you define parenting, you just think, I want them to do good in school. I want them to get that job. I want them to make something out of themselves in life. And again, that's, those aren't bad ambitions. Happiness is not a bad thing. Success in life and getting college degrees and all those things aren't bad. They're good. They can be used for the glory of God, but it's not ultimate. So a question is, am I more concerned with my kids being successful in life? Or am I more concerned with my kids bringing God glory through their life? So there's two, there's, those are two different things. See, so many people just centered in on the kids. And I, I, we've already caught this drift in our own hearts. Like, because Bo's there and everything's centered around him. And rightfully so. I mean, it should be. It's a good thing. But you've got to be careful. It, it's about God. It's not about us. And it's not about Him, ultimately about the glory of God. So here's the God-centered family. The God-centered family. God-centered family, I think, is described by humble dependence. We say, we do not have what it takes to cause our kids to love Jesus. That's the God-centered family. So when I look at him saying, I don't, I can put the fire or the wood there, I can put all the kindling, I can douse it with kerosene, but I can't cause a fire to light in their heart. And there's an inadequacy there. There's a woeful, like, I can't do this. <laughs> and that's a good thing. Because you're right, you can't. And again, this doesn't just apply to parenting, by the way. You can see how it applies to all of life. So let the Holy Spirit apply it to your life, however you need it to apply it. Humble dependence. Also, gospel-centered confidence. Listen, moms, look at me. We must continually apply the gospel to our hearts. You know what that means? You need to forgive yourself. You feel like you're not a perfect mom, and you're right. You're not. You're not a perfect dad. You're right. You're not. We've dropped the ball. Maybe you're kind of on the end of these things. You're beginning to open the empty nest, and you look back and say, man, I feel like I've wasted it. I've not really invested in my family. The gospel says he restores even wasted years. He takes all of the brokenness and turns it into something beautiful. He works all things together for good. And the gospel says your identity, your hope, your worth is not found in how good of a parent you are. It's found in who Jesus says you are, and you're loved. Amen?
That's the good news of the gospel. That's a God-centered focus. So take the pressure off yourself and put it on Jesus. Because he's a much better parent than we are. (laughs) That's good news. And then I think for some of us, repentant surrender, which means the gospel says, God-centered says, well, I see who God is, I see who I am, and I don't, live, I don't measure up. None of us do. And so we need to just repent of the idols that we have in our lives when it comes to parenting or investing in the next generation, or again, just for all of our life. So what's fueling your parenting? Is it anything other than the glory of God and the glad delight and enjoyment of Him? And if it's anything less, let's kill it. Let's apply the gospel to it. Let's move on and let's understand what it means to be empowered by the Spirit to be what God's called us to be. So how do we pursue that? How do we pursue a God-centered family? Here's the third point. I'm going to move on quicker. Investing in the next generation is a fight for delight in God, not just the discipline of children. So we're, we're doing this. We're wanting Him to be glorified, not just our kids to be happy. But now, how do we do that? We're not just trying to make good moral church kids. <laughs> we want to see them have delight in God. And so read this with me, in, um, five through six. The words will be up on the screen. I want us to read it out loud together. I know we've been reading this a lot, but this is so beautiful. And this is where I think it gets into our hearts a little bit. So read this with me, Deuteronomy 5 and 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. So he's on the brink. He's looking at all the church, not just parents. He says, it's about the God. The Lord is one. Now, here's what, how he's going to get glorified. is when you love him. When you love him more than anything. So here's a statement. We cannot fight for the heart of our children until we begin to fight from the heart. So we want our kids to get this, to love God with everything they are. But you can't fight for that kind of lifestyle if you don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it's the charge. So here's what parenting for the heart should look like. Like we're not just about their outward obedience, not just about keeping them out of trouble, not just about trying to make them better or be successful in life. We want our kids to have joy. To worship God. So we're going to run through these really quickly. This is taken from our family discipleship plan here at this church. The aims of why we do what we do as a church. We want our kids to know right things about God. So he says, with all your heart. That heart is not just your emotions and your feelings. It's your intellect, what you know. It matters. Or are we teaching our kids the word? We want our kids to feel and want the things of God. So he says, love the Lord your God with all your soul. So we want them to feel We can tell our kids, the culture says, hey, follow your heart. You know what God's word says? Guide your heart. Direct your heart. Don't follow your heart. Your heart will lead you astray, but point your heart at the right thing. So we want our kids to feel certain things about God. We want them to look at the ocean and not just know that God created that, but to say, he's awesome. Right? We want them to feel all. But then we want them to want the things of God. You know what that means? It's convictions. I want my son to have something down deep in his gut. That he said, I see in my daddy what he's about, and I want that. I want my life to be about this. Convictions, a- ambitions, aspirations. Like, what are we teaching our kids that life's all about? Anything not built on Christ will fall. So are we building that into our children? And then lastly, we want our kids to do the commandments of God. Love the Lord your God with all your might, abilities, and actions. Listen, each of our kids are, have, are wired differently with passions and gifts and 
and personality traits and callings in life. So here's what parenting looks like. Um, teach our children to do what they do well for the glory of God. So you want to be an engineer? You want to be an accountant, a stay-at-home mom, an artist, a cook, whatever? Do that. Do that, but do it well for the glory of God. But then do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. And I'll just unhitch and say, that's true what we want for everybody in this room. It's not just for our kids. What are you wired to do? You don't have to be like me. You don't have to be a preacher or a missionary. Like, do what you do. Do it well for God's glory. Be the best engineer you can be. Be the best teacher you can be. But then how can I leverage that to say, God's placed me here to make disciples and to be on mission. I don't want to waste it. I'm going to leverage it strategically for the mission of God. Man, that is what I think is a good challenge for what we want for our kids. But listen, that's parenting for the heart. But none of that happens if we can't parent from the heart or invest from the heart if you're here and you're not a parent. Um, I was driving down the road listening to a podcast, it's like a leadership questionnaire thing, and a guy said something. He was talking completely randomly. He wasn't talking about parenting at all. And he quoted Paul where Paul says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I've shared this with some of our leaders. I was driving to the office, and I had to pull over on the side of the road, and I just lost it, like weeping. You know, I weep all the time. It's just who I am. Um, I am what I am. Um, I mean, lost it, like ugly face crying. I mean, it was bad. Because, I mean, it was like a week or two after Bo was born. I was just going back to work, and um, I said, I don't know if I can say that. Like, to look at my little boy one day and say, son, if you love Jesus, like your daddy loves Jesus. Like, that's awesome. Like, when you, what you see your daddy do, the way you see him talk to your mom and how he honors women and how he works hard and how he just is ferociously pursuing God. And as you see him loving his neighbors and living on mission and risking and having faith, like, if you just look at my life, if you look at mom and daddy and do what we do, man, you'll live a good God-glorifying life. Like, can I say that? to my son and I look at my life and go the way we spend our money and the way we spend our time and do we really love our neighbors and are we really leading the church not to just be busy with church things but like really following Jesus like will he get older and look at my life and say I'm seeing mom and dad and man that faith is real for them the way he talks about Jesus is not just a mind thing for him like it's everything to him do your kids see that in you the people you're investing in can they look at you and we're saying hey we want their joy in Jesus but church, do we have joy in Jesus? Is it real for us? And that is what will drive us. And the most important thing we can do for our kids and the most important thing we can do for the next generation is to love Jesus more than we love them. To love Jesus more than we even love our spouse. And the irony is, is that's not some sacrificing thing. Like when you love Jesus more than you love them, you're actually now freed up to really love your family the way you're designed to love them. And that's a beautiful reality. And Jesus says, abide in me and you will produce fruit. Jesus says, remain, find your joy in me. And I think one of those fruit can be applied to parenting. <laughs> you can be the mom that God's called you to be. You can disciple the next generation. You really can understand God's word and live it out because it's not about us trying harder and being better. It's about him living it through us as we're connected to him, there's grace. So let me just ask some questions. Um, do you know God's word? Do you love it? Do you crave it? Are you in it? Are you pursuing it ferociously? 
Again, not for legalism, saying God doesn't love me if I don't read my Bible. How foolish is that? But it's just, I'm desperate for God. Is that true for you? Do you genuinely have joy in Jesus? Are you a worshiper? Does the convictions that drive your life align with the Word of God? Or are we wasting our lives? Is your life consistent with what you say you believe? Are you modeling a life of faith and risky obedience in accomplishing the mission of God? Is that true for you? Is it true of me? And I think all of us would say, no, it's not. And I want it to be more. So let's keep pursuing it together. There's grace. So get up and let's pursue. And lastly, we'll close with this. Investing in the next generation is all about speaking the word of God in the everyday stuff of life, not the busyness of children, not making our kids more busy and adding family discipleship to our already busy schedules. It's to say, what if family discipleship, and let's just even pull out of that, what if following Jesus, listen church, this will set you free, isn't about adding something to your schedule. Because we're busy, right? We're all busy. Say, man, how can I do this? How can I be more intentional with my kids? How can I find time to serve in the church and invest backward and to be a disciple who makes disciples? How do I do that? I'm so busy and I'm tired already. And what if it's not about adding some things? Now, let's be true. Sometimes we may have to say no to some stuff in our schedule. We've got to carve some stuff out. We've got to start adding some stuff. But what if the bulk of this is not adding things to our lives? It's seeing our lives differently. What if every single moment is a platform for discipleship? What if every single opportunity in the day is a time for us to engage deeply with the things of God? So let's read Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9. I promise we're almost finished. Are these three verses. You shall teach them. What's them? It's the word of God in the context here. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So teach them. It has the same idea of being impressed upon. It's like taking a rock and etching something in it. So it's a lot of work, right, to etch something in a rock, but the results are lasting. It's not just cause, uh, teach them information. It's literally in the Hebrew, teach them to learn, cause them to learn. So the responsibility here is not just on the learner, on our kids. It's on the teacher. So we're going to cause them to learn. We're intentionally speaking the word of God in such a way that gets into their soul. And then we teach them diligently to our kids. And so listen, diligently, strategy, intentionality, a plan. Now let's look at dads here. I know it's mama's days, but I'm going to look at daddies in this room. And moms too, but dads. We plan everything, most of us anyway. You plan for your retirement. You plan your fantasy football team, right? Amen. Uh, you know all the stats for the sport. Like, it's not an issue of we can't process information. With our work, we're planners with to do stuff. Like, what is your plan for your family to love Jesus? Do you have a plan? Do you have a strategy? Or are you coasting? Like, we plan for everything. What's our plan? Are you intentional? He says, teach them diligently, on purpose, in other words. On purpose. And so listen, we want to help you with that. (laughs) So we have this thing called a family discipleship plan. This is not a shameless plug for another program. We're putting hours and hours and hours. Uh, Pastor Austin, Pastor Paul, Pastor Daniel, so many others. We're developing a plan for birth all the way to graduation. And it's sequential. We talked about it this morning. We got some handouts at the hub. We'd love to give you. You can go to tcbchurch.org slash family. Download that plan. All these recommended resources and books to read. We're here to help, to equip you, to come alongside, to see this happen. But the point is, we can't be not intentional about discipling the next generation. It's everything. 
He says, teach them diligently. But then he goes on and says, here's how we do it. He says, how do I add this to my life? He says, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. How many people sit in their house? Anybody? Hands? Okay, we all sit in our house. But he says, as you're sitting around, talk about the word. And then he says, um, when you walk by the way, so in our congregation, in our context, when you're driving down the road. So parents, you know, your kids are hostages in your car, right? So you can talk to them while you're driving down the road. When you lie down, so bedtime, and when you rise. So when you're sitting at the dinner table, when you're driving down the road, when you get up, when you go to bed, talk about Jesus. If you love him, let it come out of your mouth. Be intentional about it. We've got plans and strategies to do that. Then he says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You know what that means? It just means let that be what you see your life through. Put it, put it in your gaze where you see the word and you're living it out. He says, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So let, is God's word the atmosphere of your home? And again, roommates, singles, is God's word the atmosphere of your home? Are we, I mean, maybe literally posting scripture all over your house. We could be literal about it. But I think it means more than that. It's just, this is the air we breathe. It's everything to us. We talk about it all the time. It's every way we make a decision, by the word. Everywhere that we're, wherever we go, it's by the word. Is that true for our families? And if it's not, man, let's let it be. So here's how we want to end our Mother's Day uh, Sunday gathering. Is we just want to pray. Can we do that? We're going to sing a song, like a verse and a chorus, okay, at the end. Uh, but we want to just pray. So I'll just invite all of us right now to just you can break up in your family and pray for your family. I think that would be awesome. Uh, if you're not here with your family, like gather with somebody. Maybe one person just voice a prayer if you're not comfortable with that. And if you're here and you're a guest, just pray quietly in your seat or just sit quietly in your seat if you're not a believer. Uh, that's okay. Uh, but we just want to spend time in prayer. So we want to pray for our own families. But I, what I'd ask is pray for your own joy in Jesus. Do you love Jesus? And if you're here and you're not a Christian, let me ask. That's what God is asking of us is to, for you to delight in him. So we're talking all this family discipleship stuff, and you just need to start with, do you know Christ? Do you love Jesus? That's all he's asking from you. He's not asking anything from you. He just wants to be with you. Will you repent and turn from your sin? Because he's died on the cross, taken your place, and he's rose again, and you can have life in him if you'll turn and trust. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, that's where you start. Because we're never going to be able to have our kids to find their joy in Jesus if we don't. Uh, But let's pray for our families, pray for one another, but also pray for the families in our church. Um, that we would live this out, that we would be this kind of people. And so just break up in our groups real quickly, uh, pray quietly out loud, and I'm going to voice a prayer over us, and we're going to sing a song of response. But let's spend just a moment in prayer for our faith family this morning.
So, Father, we um, love to hear the sound of your kids calling out to you, our Father, Daddy. We have access to run into your presence and to be messy, to be little kids. Um, with no pretense, not our words saying all the right things and theologically right. It's just about coming to you. Saying, God, we need you. Would you be our everything? Would you change us, God? I pray for our church that you make us united around the things that matter. We wouldn't waste our lives. We wouldn't live selfishly, but we would just pour ourselves out for the good of each other and for the next generation. Teach us what that means. God, I pray that we are laser sharp focused on praise of your glorious grace. That we would say, bless the Lord, O my soul, everything in me. Praise your holy name. And I want that for this next generation. I want it for my kids. I want it for myself. I want to have joy in you. I'm not trying to be better and be more disciplined. I want delight in you. And I want that for the kids in this church. I want that for the kids that are in this neighborhood that we haven't even met yet. But I want that for the kids and the next generation across the nations that right now have no access to this gospel. We want to go to them. All for the praise of the glory of your grace. So I pray, God, this would saturate our lives as we rise up and as we lay down through the good stuff and the bad stuff. We would just say, bless the Lord. We would be a people that your word is in our hearts and it's on our lips and it's in our lives. It's the air we breathe because we need you. So as we sing this song, God, I pray. It's a prayer of response. Lord, it really is the cry of our hearts. We say to our hearts, soul, we are going to bless your name all day, every day, because you alone are worthy. You are one, set apart, no one like you. So would you receive praise through this body now? It's in Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand as we close, uh, sing this song, Bless the Lord, O my soul.